In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name's Ben Grant, joined as always by JB as the Toronto Argonauts somehow pull out a victory 28-23 in a game that went terribly for Toronto in the first half and went almost, almost perfectly in the second with a few hiccups that we will, of course, get to. So JB, first of all, before we get into our recap and going through some of these points, let's just talk about the fact that with Montreal winning last night, as we discussed on our pregame walkthrough pod, this game really didn't matter. And the coaching staff's obviously aware of that. The players are aware of that. Did they approach this game the correct way? We've seen it now. They they went with all the starters. They really didn't put in any backups, really, other than out of necessity. Was this the correct way to approach this game in Edmonton? Yes, I think is the short answer. Uh, the first half was terrible. It, it seemed like the backups were in. Um, I, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I felt like this is a team that should keep playing hard every game. And, uh, the second half was, was, was decent football. And, uh, you know, the, they didn't really rest anybody, but I don't think anybody who really needed it was playing. I, I like it. I, I think they get more from winning this game than just rolling over to Edmonton. There was a vanilla element to it, and a, a few of the, the guys post-game uh, in the press conferences talked about this. So, first of all, defensively, they came in with a very vanilla plan in the first half, and then they sort of threw that at the window when they needed to make plays in the second and get back into it. But it was not a lot going on in that first half. And then Coach Dinwiddie also talked about how he felt that guys maybe just psychologically weren't entirely there and that they might have been thinking about Montreal a little bit and the games coming up down the road because they also are aware that the game really didn't mean anything in the standings. So I I just thought that was kind of interesting. It's a really tough position to be in as a coach. I liked Coach Mace's philosophy defensively. Let's not show anything. And they tried to. And the defense played okay in that first half. They weren't great, but they weren't terrible. They let up 16 points. A really nice second half, but they had to turn it on and they had to show some things they hadn't shown before it, for the sake of getting that win too much. Or you think the win is more important? Yeah, than I, I, showing? I do think the win is more important. I think the win is is good. Um, yeah, I, I do subscribe to the idea of try not to show too much, but I'm not fundamentalist about it. At the end of the day, you know, football is football and there's only so many things you can do. So like if they, you know, if you run a certain route or you run a certain, you know, defense, you know, that's just more in the mix. I don't, I don't think that's going to make a difference when, you know, where like maybe you're sitting on a trick play or maybe you're sitting on, you know, a, a really unusual formation. That's, that's more than, than say the fact that, okay, you ran, you know, cover four. Um, you know, I, I think that's fine. I think if it were me, I probably would have rested guys this game. I think that's just how I would have approached it. But having said that, just seeing what the mood was like in the post-game press conferences, uh, you know, with action spilling out from the locker rooms, the guys were in good moods. There was a really nice 
uh, sort of team feeling. I to really it. feel this team because you talked about before when you didn't pick them. Um, <laughs> you know, really, this is not a team that has been good on the road, and not a team that's been good on the road at West. And even though, you know, they weren't giant killing today, it was, you know, the Edmonton Zeros. However, still a road win. They still got on an airplane, got a victory, and now they're getting back on an airplane. Um, That's not very normal for them. So I I think getting a road win, getting a Western win, those are both very valuable, uh, you know, heading into the playoffs. Yeah, I think there is something to that. And I don't know if it's enough to change my mind philosophically there, but I certainly feel like the team benefited from this win tonight. And then that, that flight home, you're right. Like that flight home is such, it, it's so painful. Even even for me, the flight home from BC and, and Calgary was like <laughs> yeah, the maybe, worst thing ever. Right. So I you mean, can imagine what it's like for them. How can it not be kind of like triggering to be like, oh God, we're getting on a plane. We never win when we get on planes. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's so I, I look, I know it sounds foolish, but I, I do think that stuff can resonate. And also, it was hilarious to see Edmonton lose again. Uh, it was hilarious to hear Matt Dunnigan cry about it. It was hilarious to see Chris Jones, um, you know, <laughs> ponder it. All of those things were, were really enjoyable. I don't understand the Matt Dunnigan thing. I know what you're saying. It, it He was calling the game today as it, it just felt like maybe he's just trying to keep Edmonton fans into it. But it did. He, he's a Toronto. He's, he's an Argonaut hero. And I would expect him to call a pro a pro Argos game. But that sometimes happens. Like Glenn Suter, for example, often gets criticized for being too tough on on the Rough Riders, being a former Rough Rider. Maybe that's it. But yeah, it, it didn't feel like it kind of felt like he wanted he wanted Edmonton oh, to pull not out. Kind of <laughs> it, like he was he was weeping into his microphone when the game ended. <laughs> He, he was like, I'm not going to go that far. He was yelling. He was like, oh, what can Brown do for you when there were big runs? I'm like, what? what is this? Is this like a preseason game where I'm listening to the radio guys do a TV broadcast? It was it was outrageous um, how tilted it was. And, you know, I mean, just it was bad. I, you know, I'm just going to put that out there. It was it was not a professional uh broadcast in my opinion because i'm like what i understand look edmonton's terrible and they haven't won at home and you know so they're kind of the the charlie brown and you're cheering for the charlie brown but it you know it was it was getting a little rich about oh that was a terrible completion by mcleod that wasn't a very good throw and then jumping up and down when edmonton would make a play I think, like you said, I think it's cheering for an underdog. Toronto didn't need the win. It didn't really matter to them. I think they, I think they, you know, having, everyone's been on a team like Edmonton at some point in their lives or in their careers. You've, you've had that team and you know how good it would feel for them and for their home fans to see a win. But I think that's what was coming off. And, and it, it just, yeah, it was a, it was a little bit, it was a little bit odd. All right, let's let's get into let's get into the game itself. Uh, a place they have not won since 2013, which is also quite something. So uh, that has all changed now. Let, let's get going into. Let's start off with the the challenge flag because that's something that happened early in the game. There's like 11:28 uh, left in the first quarter. There was a play where it was just a it was a short completion for Edmonton and Coach Dimwitty felt like they were blocking downfield before the pass was caught. And when you look at the replay, technically he's right, but 
you and I both know, and we were both saying it at the time, you just can't throw a challenge flag here. And of course, they lost and are now 2-11 and 11 on challenges this year. It's It boggles my mind, not because he's wrong. Coach Dinwiddie is, is usually correct when he challenges, but he's not correct in that the, these are calls that are not going to get overturned. Now, how can you describe to someone who is maybe not understanding what I'm saying, because I'm not putting it out very well, what's the difference between a call being correct or a call being overturned, I guess? <laughs> well, um, yeah, you you have to... You have to be able to discern what 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 are they going to overturn. So, for example, if a guy puts his hands on another guy, they're not going to call that defensive pass interference because that happens the whole game. So they're not going to call things that they would now have to call 100 times that they're not currently calling, which is where I believe this challenge falls into is, yes, you know, you're right. But also that happens, you know, 30 times a game. It basically on everything other than kick return, it's not called. So they're not going to set the precedent that that is now a penalty because now they, you know, they're like, hey, what about that penalty? You know, they're, they're just like, no, that's not a penalty. So I do think you have to, you have to look at what, what they like to call. But also you have to look at your timeouts as like golden coins, you, you you just can't give them away for, you know, beans. You just can't um, spend it unless you are, you know, you feel that this is a, a game-changing play. And it's just to do it that early was, to me, beyond pointless. What, what, what do you possibly achieve? Even if you're right, what, what do you achieve? It's just risk and reward. You have got to hold on to a timeout and a challenge, you know. And you know, it's, it. Uh, I would, I would, I would argue. Other than a touchdown, you should not challenge a play in the first half. In my yeah, opinion. it's got to be, it's got to be big. And just to go over, like what you were saying, it's it's what the call in the field is that matters. Because on that same play, had they thrown a flag on that play and had. Coach Jones challenged from the other side, they wouldn't have overturned that either. It's just one of those plays where they're not going to, that play is not going to get overturned no matter, no matter what, whatever the call is on the field. It's just too, it's too ticky tack to overturn. It's going to stick either way, whichever side it was called on, that's what it's going to end up being. And a lot of coaches just seem not to get that. Some coaches are excellent with challenges and they seem to be right every time. And it's not that they understand what they're looking at better. They understand the psychology of the officiating maybe a little bit better. And maybe they can separate themselves emotionally a little bit better from from what's happening. Because it's easy when it's your team and you see a play, it's really easy for you it, for you to see it one way. And, you know, we see that with fans all the time and, and you and I have gone through that too. Uh, and then, you know, you maybe look at it a little while later, maybe a couple hours after the game, and you're like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have thrown that flag. <laughs> well, whoever whoever is whispering in his ear, probably they should change that person. Well, that's that's Coach Costanza. So let me go through that process, because I did ask him about that after the game. There were a lot of uh, questions that I had on Twitter about how is this, how does this process work? How does the challenge system work for Coach Dinwiddie. So what he says is he doesn't always get to see a replay before he has to throw a challenge. So he's got Coach Costanza in his ear and he will uh, guide Coach Dinwiddie when there needs to be a, a, a 
challenge flag thrown. But in this particular case, he saw the replay on the screen himself. And so just seeing it with his own eyes, he's like, well, that's clearly a penalty. And so he threw the flag and Coach Costanza was in agreement on that as well. Well, and they're not wrong. It, it is a penalty, but it is also a penalty that is never called. Right. So I don't know. At some point when you've been wrong that many times, I think you have to start second guessing yourself a little bit. I think we have a pretty, a pretty good data collection set that look, Hey, everybody's good at different things. You're not very good at that. Why don't you give that, uh, you know, why don't you give that a little break? Yeah, no, I, they have to look at that. Two and 11 is not, is not no, it's, going to cut it. No, on challenges. At the very minimum, you have to be 500. And in the CFL, those timeouts are so valuable. You only get two for the game. Right. You do not want to lose one. No. The three minutes into the into the first stop. half. Yeah, I would I would go so far to say stop challenging plays, just stop. Yeah, unless it just costs you the game. Yeah, exactly. That that yeah. unless it 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 happened in the last five minutes of the game. That's it. Other than that, do not challenge plays. Just you know, talk it amongst yourselves. There was some cool stuff that was going on defensively today. Even when they were running that vanilla defense in the first half that we sort of talked about, I thought the personnel changes were kind of cool. So you sort of had like a first down defense and then a second and short defense, a second and long defense. And this happens in football all the time, but it was very different from what we've seen from the Argos in the past. And it starts with what we saw last week with Chris Edwards going out to play corner. I thought that was maybe an adjustment to something BC was doing, but the fact that they're sticking with it this week means to me something else. And I did ask Coach Dinwiddie about that after the game. What is the plan just to get your best six DBs on the field? And wherever you can slot them in, slot them in. Because that's what it looks like to me. When I look at who's starting, I don't know if they're all in the best spots necessarily for them. But I do think they've got the, the six best guys on the field. They found a way to do that. And they decided, I guess, that that those six don't include Tavares McFadden, who's actually been playing very well at corner. But he's and he may be one of the best corners on the team, but he may not be in that top six. And so... He ends up now. He ended up playing a lot today after Priester got hurt. But I think they decided that that those those six guys are are Amos, Mechie, Richardson, Priester, Peters, and Edwards, and that's that's they're going to fit them in somewhere. And they're lucky to have all these guys that can play so many different spots um, because that gives them a, a ton of flexibility too. I love Edwards at corner. Uh, you know the way they're using him. I I think his his greatest. I don't want to say his grace, but something he's really good at is just annihilating people in the flats and and coming up on run. And that corner, I think that just accentuates that aspect of his game that he absolutely like you saw that today where he got off that block and then cannonballed into the guy. That's that's what he does really well. And I think at corner, he gets to do that more so I, I think the fit is really good the way they're using him and then he's still flexible enough where on second down situations where they'd bring in a, another db they would send this is again before priester got hurt they would send uh Tavares mcfadden in and then he would play corner and edwards would now move inside and sort of be like a nickel corner essentially yeah, i mean in that. i love that i mean i love um you know in my you know sort of um 
small version. Like I loved having players who could be both. I loved having safeties who could be linebackers, right? I loved corners who could be halfbacks because it just gives you so many options and you can do rotations uh, that you can't otherwise where you're able to rotate into a totally new position. It, it just opens up um, so much more to play with as a defensive coordinator. It's also really difficult to plan for. And I talked about this. Uh, if you haven't seen the article that I wrote last week on Three Down Nation, there's a, a section in there where I talk about how players prepare for, for games at practice. And one of the things is they have pennies on the scout team defense and the pennies have numbers on them to designate specific players and so you've got your linebackers numbered you've got your halfbacks and your safety numbered and so you know okay well this is this is Mechie and this is Amos and this is Priester and and the scout team is is running typically what they run in a defense like this where you're looking at guys that change position entirely it makes it extremely difficult to prepare for and you don't necessarily even know what you are preparing for because you can get into a situation where you're just not expecting to see chris edwards there you're not expecting that suddenly suddenly this player is going to be here and suddenly shaq richardson is back playing uh, right. deep middle and, and what i love about it is as a defense is you can react to to your formation read so they may come out and it may look like pass and you were in run and now you get out of run really easily without an audible. You're just able to rotate out of run into a pass defense because you just switch positions. And, and you know, I love that flexibility as a defense where you can you can change the look immediately um, just because you have the guys on the field who now move to a different position because suddenly it's not what you thought it was going to be. We saw some different looks in the first half with regards to the run. Like in the first quarter, we saw a lot of Declan Cross and we haven't seen, we still haven't really seen Declan Cross targeted. I don't, I, I still don't know. Obviously, fullbacks do not fit into Coach Dinwiddie's system in terms of being pass catchers as well, which I think is unfortunate because I do think that's something Cross does quite well. I think that's something he brings to the game, but that's just not how Coach Dinwiddie's system works. He did help a lot with the run game. What do you think about those end-arounds that obviously weren't working to Hadel? I wouldn't say that those are necessarily failures because that's kind of the misdirection we were talking about that helps set up other things. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's better. Um, I did like that they, they had some different looks there and they, you know, at least there was some misdirection going on. I've, at, at a certain point, you're going to have to, you're going to have to give him the balls for people to respect that jet. Um, and then, so I, I don't know how much people are actually respecting that yet, uh, but at least it's a little bit, you know, so that's good, but I'm all for it. You know, I've a number of his big runs, you know, you just need a second of misdirection. You, you can't line them up and just play those runs go nowhere. Um, so it's good. And then Hale, he had that reverse, you know, I don't know. He, <laughs> we can get into his kick return career, uh, which I, <laughs> I would declare over. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, he seems okay, but I don't know how much teams are really going to react to that jet, to be honest, moving forward. Yeah. I think one is, I, I think that you get much more reaction when it's Curly Gittins Jr. Because he has seen some success off that action. I think they just wanted to get him more involved. He barely touched the ball last week and well, he was more your, involved. Yeah, he was. Although not necessarily the way that they were thinking. I don't, I don't imagine uh, the only thing that was working for the Argos offense in the first half was A.J. Olette. 
It was the only thing they had going. He was running well from the beginning. A lot of that is, a lot of that's the offensive line. They were blocking extremely well. And it was nice to see that because they were without Dejan Allen, who was at home um, for the birth of his first child, as I understand it. And so Perfect it was great. Timing. He was, yeah, well, he was, it, 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 you couldn't have, if there was one game you're not going to be there for, it's the game that, that didn't matter. And and I thought the line, in spite of missing him, who I think is one of their better run blockers, did run block very well. I thought Ryan Hunter did a really nice job. Uh, Bladek is always uh, one to deliver there. And they just had, it, it wasn't Olette getting hit in the backfield as soon as he got the ball, which we've seen so many times. Now, I know Edmonton doesn't have the same, they don't have the same boxes as, well, anyone else in the league. So it's not just <laughs> going to look like this from now on. It's not like they've figured something out. But sometimes it takes uh, a, sometimes it takes a game like this against inferior opposition yeah. to to create something. Uh, yeah, look, maybe maybe he was inspired by my nicknaming him Juggernaut. Who knows what uh, what created it? But uh, I think it's probably the general garbageness of the Edmonton team. But uh, hey, I'll take it. It may be. And Coach Dinwiddie was asked about that too. One of the first questions asked of him was, "If you play like this, can you beat Montreal?" And he said, "No." Like that's so he like it's not like he's not aware. It's not like the team's not aware no. of who Edmonton is. It, it's but, hard. Yeah, it's hard clearly. not to play down. It's hard. It's hard to pretend a team is good. And McLeod Bethel Thompson started off a little rough. He he missed a couple passes early that really could have gone. He was seeing a lot of man coverage, and that's his philosophy. He talked about that openly with me after the game. Just how when he sees man. He, he looks to go deep. He's like, that's where that's where the space is. And so trying to hit those go routes, trying to hit those corner routes, and he just wasn't connecting on those early. And that did seem to uh, improve as the as the game went on. But yeah, early on, there were some opportunities where this this maybe didn't need to go the way it went, where where Toronto found themselves down 16 to three at one point. It just uh, didn't seem like it was working. And uh, let's talk about some of the some of the things that went horribly wrong in the second quarter. So Priester um, was uh, injured and taken out of the game, which was really unfortunate. He's been playing so well. You just hope he's okay. It was good to see that he was able to get up and, and walk off under his own power. But that looked like a, a really nasty hit he took to the head and in, in trying to get in on a tackle of, of Kevin Brown. And so McFadden came in for him, and that was the end of the creative rotations in the in the defensive secondary. <laughs> yeah. And, and then we we saw a weird play. I want to know your thought on this. Just as a defensive coordinator, it's second and four from the Toronto seven. Edmonton's got the ball, and it was the touchdown to Vandervoot. They're running zone coverage. Uh, I hate zone coverage inside the 10-yard line. I think you should always be running man. You can run zero. You can run one. You can run man two if you want, um, but it's got to be some form of man. He just found a nice little place to sit, and it's an easy touchdown pass. Uh, Now, the other side of it is play calling. As an offensive guy, I'm expecting the defense to run man, so I'm running man beaters. So sometimes zones do mess me up uh, in the red zone, but I I think it's philosophically flawed to run zone in that little space yeah i prefer man every time uh, i know you you have man beaters and rub plays and for sure sometimes it's really nice to catch a team running a rub 
and they run right into your zone. That happens. But I just feel more often than not, teams are running flood concepts and there's just a dude standing with 15 feet around him and no defensive player. So I feel like I see that way more than a man, <laughs> man routes running into a trap. Let's talk about the worst kickoff return in Toronto Argonauts history. <laughs> I nearly turned my television off. I um, That was like the, um, I don't know whether you want to call it the, the nadir or the apex of that first half. But, um, you know, w- along with all of the terrible football, they pulled that. <laughs> that was that was almost the end of my uh, my evening's viewing. <laughs> they were obviously trying to ignite something in the kick return game. <laughs> They've had no success returning kicks, returning punts. This is something that we've been talking about endlessly for the last, well, four years. Mm. And they were trying to do something. <laughs> and what they what they did was flawed in a few ways. So what they're, the play they're trying to run, run is, a, is a throwback. So basically one returner takes it up the right side and then throws it way back across the other side of the field to the other returner who's in theory waiting there on his own because everyone is sort of collapsed in their in their downfield coverage and he's on his own to the outside and it's a big play. We've seen it work before. Uh, people who are old enough uh, might remember the, uh, the, the miracle uh, against the Buffalo Bills that went for a touchdown. Same play, same idea, the throwback across the field. But this had so many things wrong with it. So Number one, Javon Leak, who was supposed to be the recipient of Jeremiah Hadel's throw, was in front of Hadel. So Hadel, and it wasn't just like a yard in front. No, he was like, like five, 10 yards yeah, in front like, of Hadel. Like at least five yards. It, it just wasn't, it, it could, you can't throw that pass from the beginning. No. And then he overthrew the pass by about 10 yards. It goes over Leak's head and the ball is now on the ground. It's a live ball. Edmonton recovers. Now, the other problems were it just wasn't, it wasn't even there. Even if Leak is standing in the correct place, it wasn't there. No, Guys he, were in their lanes. You've got to call that off. You can't just go no, ahead you, with that trick play. Maybe it works if you have a returner who draws players like a magnet, right? Like, you you know, you've got them to one, you get the kick that's really to one side, not to the middle, which was probably the trigger. And like, so they kicked it to, to the right. So that then initiated the potential to do it. But he's not good enough to draw the whole team. So you you don't have that overreaction from the kick cover team. They're just, he's just a guy. They don't need to cover it specially. So when he throws it, he's just throwing it into, into the lane coverage because they weren't collapsing on him um, because he's, he just hasn't shown that he's very good or that the team is very good at returning kicks. So, it, it, that kind of play is, is one that has to rely on the over-pursuit of a team, and there is no reason for any team to over-pursue them. Um, I mean, if, if you're going to run any trick play, I would just run like a rugby switch play, you know, that rather than the pass play. You know, they always say, like, when you throw a pass, three things can happen and two are terrible. So I would, I would keep that in mind moving forward. Yeah, and the guy throwing the pass is is a wide receiver to a running back. 
I, I think it comes from watching, they, you know, like you said, it's if you if you watch Edmonton's film, I'm sure it was there on film because they're playing against like if they're if they're going off last week where it's Janarian Grant, right. who's uh, has been a threat, you know, who's averaging 26 yards. A, sure. Everybody's going to fly him. Yeah, of course. And so they probably saw that on film. They're like, hey, look, these guys are collapsing really hard. Uh, but yeah, they're not going to do that when you are not returning it uh, anywhere close to that, that distance. I mean, so. I, at least it, it shows that they also acknowledge the desperation of it all. Um, but uh, yeah, let's let's not do that one again. I would I would suggest that Montreal is not going to rep that. They won't even look at that, no. So as the as the first half is mercifully coming to a close, there were a couple of other little things, just little things I wanted to point out, uh, like how good AJ Olette is in in pass protection because that it stood out when he wasn't in there. You notice how clean the pocket was for Bethel Thompson today. Most of it was the O line. Olette made some really key blitz pickups, and when he came out right at the end of the, of the first half. Javon Leak goes in, and I really like Leak as that change of pace back. I think he's exciting. It, it didn't really show much today, but we have seen in the past that little burst that he has. But he is not the same in pass protection as as AJ Olette. He missed he missed Tristan Deku on on a, a blitz that turned into a sack. And anytime you have a halfback blitz, that can turn into a sack fumble because it's not something quarterbacks are looking for. It's coming from the blind side, and that has to be Leak's man. And he just didn't pick it up. Fortunately, Beatty was able to bail them out because Beatty had a night tonight. He did going five for five. This was a forty nine yard field goal, but it it should have been a much easier field goal than that. Uh, right at the end of the half, but yeah. Now, how about Boris Beatty going five for five? Fantastic. You feel pretty good Just about kept about the that. team mentally in it. Kept kept the kept uh, Edmonton in you know in the in the not in the rear view, but in you know kept them on the horizon. And never let them just kind of get out. I th- I think if he misses even one of those kicks, they probably lose the game. Uh, just massive, but just. Shows you what what a weapon he can be for for team morale and 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 you know winning in a CFL game. You know Edmonton was not going to score four touchdowns. It was he was huge tonight. I mean that that's playoff BD. That's the guy we're looking for. And those field goals are enough to keep Toronto tight and to keep everything tight in Commonwealth. The fans too, the fans, the Edmonton team, they've been through so many losses in a row at that stadium and they could see Toronto hanging around. They're like, we're, we're up playing this team. We should be up by, we should be up by 14. We should be up by 21. And they kept creeping closer and closer, three points at a time. And you could just feel it happening on that Edmonton sideline. As we get to the second half, this is where things change now. So the defense decides to really open it up. Man, they ran some really, really cool stuff in the second half. We don't usually see them blitz a lot. They they sent eight at one point, uh, which it turned into like it, it turned into a cover zero. It would have been a cover minus two uh, had Edmonton not had Cornelius brought in two guys to help pick that that blitz up, uh, which you know they absolutely needed to do because there's no way he's getting the ball out. But like that, that blitz turns into a pick. They they switched guys up a ton. They were really disguising coverage well. They they mixed up their their front, which I thought was cool. There was uh they kind of went to a, a three four, which they so rarely do on on first down. They will sometimes do that in second and long. But they had they had Barlow, uh, Oakman, Atchampong in as a tight three man front, 
which I thought was really cool with a four linebacker look over top of it. That we haven't seen before, and that caused serious problems for Edmonton. They could no longer run the football, and they were getting pressure on the passer. Like, you look at the stats at the end of the game. Taylor Cornelius threw for 185 yards. That's it. Yeah, and, they, uh, yeah. yeah I, I liked it. I think they felt like, okay, we're close enough. Let's, you know, let's take a few things out of the garage and let's win this damn game. Um, you know, because I think they probably hoped, like you do, like, can we win showing nothing? And then it was like, no, we're not going to be able to do that. So, so let's win. Let's win for real. And, and, you know, it goes to show our argument, you know, uh, you know, the kid green, he ran for 120 in a touchdown. He looked, you know, he looked like a million bucks, but it, it just doesn't matter. It's just like, it's just confetti. It doesn't, it doesn't win football games. Yeah, it's true. And we've, we've been saying well, that a lot. It doesn't, lot. It doesn't win CFL that. games. Right. Yeah. This In the CFL, you can't only have a rushing attack unless the other team has nothing at all. But yeah, we, we saw that today. Again, Edmonton's a very good running team and this is only going to help them. They're the third best rushing team in the league, according to yards per carry. But that doesn't buy you wins. And he looked and great. That, like, I was like, where, he's really good. I like him a lot. It? I'm like, I didn't know they had. You yeah, know. the two big pickups they made, I've been talking about them quite a lot over the last week. Thank you for reading all my tweets, JB. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Brown and, <laughs> and Mitchell, two guys that I think are fantastic who are new to the CFL. Yeah, Brown, and Brown is a really like a guy that I would love to have picked up. <laughs> Yeah, well, we've had him fortunately in our fantasy team for the last several weeks now. But uh, he's he, that's that's why you see tonight why we've been like so so high on that guy because he he's a he's a skilled running back. He's just a really he's got great vision. He's so patient, but also will explode. Like there are times where the hole's there, and so he'll yeah, fly through. I, it. I thought he was the best running back we've played this year. Yeah, I think so too. Now he's he's not as big as some of the other guys that can really pound on you late in games, but. Again, I'll you know I take him every time. And that I middle think, run is good. you know it, it's more there than it is when obviously when McManus is playing, um, right. or where the refs let Moamba be pinned to the ground. <laughs> right, the holding that was not called all game against Moamba was was frustrating. Now the one thing the Argos defense stopped doing in the second half, which I thought was interesting, is they stopped spying. In the first half, they had Hoyt on Cornelius a bunch. They were just playing a really base defense, but Hoyt was on Cornelius. And in the second half, when they started doing all this creative stuff, suddenly the spy went away, and that led to a few long Cornelius runs. But I have to think this is something that they're thinking going forward, going into the next two weeks, we're not worried about spying Trevor Harris. That's not a quarterback you have to have a spy on. And so maybe this is some of the stuff that, that they were hoping to save, that well, he, you are going to see a little bit more. Cornelius definitely looked like he wanted to be pass first tonight. They even talked about it on the broadcast that he he seemed to to pass up some runs, and I, I think that was probably the feeling they had. Is look, he, you know, sometimes quarterbacks are looking to run, and he definitely was not looking to run. He did run, but he was not looking to run and. If they're not looking to run, yeah, you probably don't need to sacrifice that spy anymore. That's a good, I think that's a good adjustment to to him. And then he did break that huge run um, in the second half, and then made that terrible, you know, high school mistake of trying to cut back into the field to score the touchdown. 
Yeah, let's talk about that run. So he takes a heavy hit from Enoch Mwamba. I want to highlight Mwamba on that play. I, I watched him from the beginning of the play just because I happened to be watching the backers at the snap. And as soon as Cornelius broke the pocket, everybody else is sort of running right at the sideline. Mwamba wasn't. He saw where Cornelius was going. He saw the deployment of personnel that they had going after him. And he made a call there basically realizing that if I'm the guy that's going to tackle Cornelius, it's going to be at the three-yard line. And so instead of sprinting to the sideline, he looped all the way back. He came all the way back to, to the end zone and then came up to, to greet him um, you know, inside the 10. And he just crushed him because, like you said, Cornelius tried to take it back in instead of running out of bounds. <laughs> I mean, I've, I have, you know, with a hitting pad, tried to teach 15-year-olds what it feels like when you cut back in and a bus hits you. Because um, that's what happens when you cut back in. So once you start heading out of bounds, just keep going. Don't look back because only bad things await you. And then, oh, sorry, now let me get into my rant here while I'm I'm wired up. So Cornelius gets, you know, clearly concussed on the hit. Um, it was a massive hit. You don't have what do you to, mean by clearly concussed to find that? Well, you don't, you don't have to take a hit to the head to get concussed. You just have to take a hit that has a violent force. And that was a violent force hit. And you could see that his head and neck moved with the contact. They don't have to be a point of contact. So you automatically have to suspect a concussion. Um, I know that doesn't really fit with football, but it does fit with the medical world. And he, and to their credit, they pulled him because he clearly was woozy after the touchdown, right? He handed the touchdown off, and you could see that he was not all there. And so when you have those signs, those signs are, are more valuable than, than symptoms because symptoms are reported and players don't report. But signs are things players do, like acting slow or touching their head. And those signs were there. So he gets pulled <laughs> and then is talking to a doctor, I assume. I, I assume not just a physical trainer. But then they determined that he is not concussed. And that's when I went bananas because you cannot determine someone is not concussed. That, that doesn't exist. There is not a test. There is not a blood test. There's not a neurological test. There's not a finger test with a flashlight. You cannot confirm someone has a concussion. You can't buy, you, even if you had a CAT scan on the sideline or an MRI machine, you cannot tell when somebody has a concussion. You can only react to the symptoms. So if he got hit hard enough to have a suspected concussion, hard enough to be pulled for that suspected concussion, then he has to be done for the night. That is what all the medical information states, that if you suspect it, that's it. Because you can't prove he doesn't. You have to just sit him for 24 hours and then see if any symptoms arise. And it just is bonkers that that they are going with, well, I checked him and he knew his name and he knew how many fingers I was holding. And like this sort of like 1985 what day is it? What team are you playing on? Um, you know, neurological test. Do you have a headache? No. Okay, go get them. Um, you know, clearly their quarterback came in, Ford, threw a pick, and then they's like, this guy's going in. I don't want to hear about tests. And then Cornelius goes back in. Um, 
you know, it was outrageous. It's outrageous that the league allows it. It's outrageous that the Elks allowed it. It's outrageous that the TSN announcers were like, oh, good thing he's back. I mean, it's, we're still living in the 1980s here. What are we doing? He has to be pulled for the game when he gets pulled. Uh, so. The issue is with things like that, if he gets to the sideline, and and I agree with you for the record, but just playing devil's advocate, say he gets to the sideline and says, yeah, I was I was really winded on that play, or I, that really hurt my shoulder. He, he hit my shoulder really hard. Like, no, what, what are you talking about my head? My head didn't really get hit. Because you just do what they do in the NFL. If you look at the film, you look at the replay, and as the doctor, you say, no, that is a violent impact hit. I'm going to rule suspected concussion. You're pulled from the game. Now, is Did that, you say like they do in the NFL? Well, they look at the film now. Now, since Tua, they have the neurologists on the sideline looking at the film on the replay. So, like, obviously we don't do that yet. But, the the you know, we can live in an imaginary world like the CFL does currently with, like, half measures and pretend measures. But... The reality is if you suspect a concussion, you have to sit out 24 hours. There is no test. If there was, somebody would be very rich. Believe me, people are working around the clock to invent a test. Because whoever invents it is going to become really wealthy. But there is no test. If you pull him, he has to sit for 24 hours. You can't believe the player who says, I don't have a headache. I feel fine. That's that's not how this works. So that's a tough position to be in, uh, you know, for, for the, you know, if there's an independent person. I don't think there was an independent person. It looked like it was just like the Edmonton trainer. But it is very frustrating, especially with the Tua stuff. And but for the grace of God, he didn't get hit in the head again. Because that's what we're talking about, right? The danger is not the concussion. The danger is the second concussion. And it's frustrating. It is frustrating that it's still half measures and and policy based on nothing, based on football coaches, not on neurologists. So he stayed in for the touchdown. And uh, that was, but it wasn't passing. It was It was Brown who finished that up. Edmonton's up 23-15 at that point. And well, with with their five he, Toronto he field goals. He took his helmet off stage. immediately after that touchdown and shook his head. Yeah, which, which is I know. There were, there were a ton of signs. Yeah, yeah there were a ton of signs. Uh, and then Toronto has their, uh, amazingly, their second worst kickoff return of the night. <laughs> this time, uh, Jeremiah Hadel seemed to fumble off of somebody's butt uh, as he was taking it up the, the right sideline. The ball is free. It gets turned over again, and and this was where there needed to be a, an intervention. <laughs> At this point, the defense had to do something because they were the only unit playing well. The offense had not done a thing. The special teams unit continually was giving it over, and the defense is like, "All right, we've got one more. We got one more play left." And Trey Ford is in at quarterback. They send heat. Uh, Richardson gets his hand on it, tips it up. Mechie picks it off. And now Toronto, they're like, okay, come on. We have set the table for you offense. It's time to go get this done. And they pretty much do right away. Diverse Daniels on a go route. 
uh, he his his corner seemed to have lost the ball uh, in the air or um, yeah, sort I, of lost track of where it was. But a thirty five yard thirty five yard uh, touchdown is pretty sweet. Totally, just looked again like a high school kid. You seen it a hundred times in space looking for the ball, can't find the ball, and just stop running because they're looking for the ball. And there was help, but it wasn't there. It looked to me like that was that was two man, and it didn't look again. Diverse is going right up the sideline, and it didn't look like the safety was able to get over there in time to help. So I don't feel like this was a case of him passing it off. They weren't clouding. No, no, Daniels. I, I, it was I just, think he was just, just lost in space and stopped moving his feet. And they go for two. Uh, this was a play that I could tell Coach Dan Whitty was a bit frustrated by at the end of the play because on that two point conversion, you you could see it on the replay. There's like two Argos that get tackled to the ground in the end zone. Bethel Thompson has all the time in the world, but two of his receivers are on the ground. Another guy's in, in double coverage. And, you know, he just he's trying to make something happen. There's nothing there. It was the first failed two-point attempt for the Argos this year. They were previously three for three. So now they're down two uh, with three minutes, 50 seconds to go. And if Edmonton could have put a drive together, that, that might have been it. But again, the defense came up big, and it was it was Jones this time with his first career sack. And that was one of those, we were just talking about these plays the other day, you and I, one of those heel smack uh, sacks. He was able to just get his hand on one of Cornelius's feet and knock it into the other foot. And it's a, it's a surprisingly effective way to bring somebody down. But that was also a huge turning point. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, well, I mean, it's tough to play when you're concussed. Yeah, well, that I don't. I don't know if I blame that play on a concussion. He's just trying to. He's trying to roll out um, and and buy time, which he's generally really good at doing. But Jones just, you know, did a great job getting extended and getting a finger on that. And then Bethel Thompson comes in and really comes to life. Well, he'd actually, to be fair, he actually had a really good second half. His stats were were pretty good in the end. So he throws a couple of clutch passes, and then they hand it to AJ Olette, really just trying to get closer for the winning field goal. But he takes it all the way. Now, let's break this down for a second. The question is, should he have run it in? We've seen this talked about before. The NFL has had a few huge plays turn games because of this. So the question is, should he have run this in or should he have gone down at the one yard line? The answer, the correct answer, in my opinion, is he's right in taking it in in this case because they're trailing by two. If they have the lead, if they're up by one, or as, as we saw with the, the uh, Cleveland Browns game a few weeks ago where they lost the game by running in the touchdown, uh, they, that was to go up by, by 10, I think, wasn't it? So if you're leading, yeah, you go down. You go down at the one-yard line and you take off time. That's all that matters. But when you're trailing, it's too much to risk. Even from whatever 15-yard line is not guaranteed, you get a bad snap, um, somebody goes offside, Sometimes short field goals screw up kickers, and it's kind of weird. I mean, it, it's not a guarantee. You, you, I agree. You know, one hundred percent. You, you. I, I mean, I don't agree with Edmonton allowing him to score, but uh, I think you have to score there. Yeah, no, I don't think there's. I don't think there's a choice. And I asked AJ after the game about that play, and what I loved is that he'd actually thought about that preemptively he went to coach before that series and he said if I get a chance to am I scoring 
And the coach said, yeah, just like just like we did. You're we're down. We got to take the points. So, yes, you are going to get into the end zone. But I love that he actually went and asked, like, how many running backs are going to a coach before the last series and saying, hey, coach, do you want me to score this touchdown or not? Well, you know, coaches love him. Look at how he ran that ball and he ran that ball in with two hands. You know, like that's as a coach, you, you yell two hands on the ball 400 times a day to running backs who will never listen to you. Um, so yeah, so, you know, you know, coaches love him, you know, he's a guy like that, that's gonna, you know, ask to coach that kind of thing. Cause like, that's just smart football to, to, he knows like, all I have to do here is not fumble. I could get tackled. I could score, but I can't fumble. And, uh, that's the way he carried it. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I just couldn't, I, I was blown away by that response because I hadn't in asking the question, I didn't think. I, I thought he might have thought about it, but I certainly didn't think he'd ask that before the drive started. So I was super impressed by that. I thought that was great. And then then there was almost a heart attack moment uh, because <sighs> there's a roughness penalty that occurred after the play. And so now suddenly the Argos are kicking off from 10 yards further back. The return is decent, but not catastrophic like some of the other ones uh, we've seen. And then there's... A, a huge catch to Jarrell Walker, who had a pretty big game. And then these last two plays with nine seconds left, I'm sure most Argos fans, even even with the game not really meaning anything, it still, it still does. And that throw where Haggerty and Amos ran into each other, both of them had the beat on the, the game-winning pick, the game-sealing pick. And you could see Haggerty, his eyes got wide. He's going for it. He's in perfect position. But Amos, who's in coverage, he's also got inside leverage and that ball's under throw and he's coming across. And don't they run into each other full speed? Fortunately, nobody was hurt on that. But it, it kept the Elks alive for one more play. And I've seen that happen so many times where on that next play they convert it just seems like sometimes that's that's just murphy's law and i felt like on that last play it was going in it was a little terrifying i i mean i did love they brought some heat on that play too they didn't just go prevent i i wasn't i don't know for me i'd love i would much prefer to see the secondary coming downhill on those passes like when walker catches that pass and he you know his defender kind of gets all twisted around I would much rather see a defender who is downfield and coming up and attacking that ball. You, you know they have to throw the ball 40 yards. I, I just don't see why you're not, you know, like defender, grass, wide receiver, come downhill, come pick that ball. I, I would have preferred to see that. And then on the final play, the double coverage, You'd like to see a little more pincer action there than two guys standing behind the receiver. But uh, luckily the ball was high and uh, and the good guys won. Yeah, it, that that last play made me far more nervous than the first one, obviously, because I thought there was a real chance at that ball. Well, at least the, fir- the second one was on TV. Yeah, I know the first one they were so late in getting to. Yeah, I, like, the, well, I think the cameraman was probably probably watching. I you know having gone to like scout games myself, uh, you know all over uh, all over the world apparently. Uh, the the temptation to not watch the little screen on your camera when something interesting is happening yeah. and to just watch what's happening on the field, but you can't do that if you're operating the the camera for the rest of us. No, no. yeah, it was. Yeah, it was, look, it was an, it, it, from really just a god-awful first half. I'm going to turn my television off to a really exciting team bonding plane trip party 
celebration, uh, you know, the, the real roller coaster ride. Yeah, it was a nice win. A couple injuries that you got to be worried about. Obviously, Priester is a concern. Oakman uh, is a concern. Uh, you have to hope that these aren't aren't serious injuries. They're going to keep keep these guys out for long. But uh, you know, other than that, it it seemed like everybody was was able to stay healthy. Uh, there didn't seem to be too many concerns uh, coming from the locker room after the game. So um, that's, I, I guess, a good sign. But we'll probably get a better sense of that over the next few days. JB, let's go for our players of the game. Who do you have on offense? Um, yeah, it was difficult because it was really only half a game. Um, you know, McLeod played great in the second half. Uh, I probably I'll probably go Daniels. You know, he, he had the touchdown. Um, he he was, as he is sometimes, invisible uh, for a large portion of the game. But, uh, he look, he made two big plays. He ended up with 90 yards. Uh, I got to give it to him. I got to give it to him for that touchdown catch. It, it definitely changed the game. Yeah, I kept looking for him in the first half because they kept bringing they kept bringing in guys that aren't normally there. Like Tommy Neal was in for a couple of plays, and Declan Cross was in. I'm like, is is Daniels missing? Is he just not not out here? And then yeah, he emerged big time in the second half. He had he only had three catches, but 80 yards and a touchdown. Every one of those catches was clutch. For offensive player of the game for me, I, there are a lot of guys that ended up having good numbers. Like you said, McLeod Bethel Thompson, 19 of 28 for 273 and a touchdown. That's that's a nice day, and and he moves fourth all time uh, in terms of Argo's passing numbers. So that, you know, and, the, and like to the TSN, you know, pregame show crew who called him the best worst quarterback. Um, I guess keep his name out of your mouth. Yeah, well, he, I, it's such a, I, I still to this day, and we've talked about this enough not to have to bring this up again. Uh, we both understand how good a quarterback McLeod Bethel Thompson is. I'm not saying he was always a good quarterback. I think there was a lot of time in his CFL career where he wasn't a good quarterback. He is now. He is a good yeah. quarterback. He's played really good football this year. He played really good football last year, but he's much better this year. Yeah. Just look at how well he takes care of the ball when the game is on the line, how he scores touchdowns when the game is on the line. You can't you can't fall into a 5000 yard season in professional football. You know, it's like scoring 50 goals in hockey like you can't just fall into it. Um, you know, like well, a couple of good bounces. It's like no, this is is he a perfect quarterback? No, of course not. But is he the second best quarterback in the league? Yeah, I think undoubtedly. So, you know, I will, we both will fight for that. And I think the disrespect he gets is uh, just unbelievably um, uninformed by people who I don't think actually watch Toronto Argo games. Now, having said all that, I'm not giving player of the game to McLeod Bethel-Thompson. I thought he had a really nice second half, but A.J. Ouellette had a great game start to finish. Yeah, he looked great. He's getting my offensive player of the game. Nine carries for 91 yards, and he put the game on ice at the end, So, or so, almost put the game on the ice until that near yeah, breakdown. I, I, I believe you should refer to him as Juggernaut. That's Juggernaut, yeah. Um, he's, he's so much fun to watch, and I'm just that much more impressed after after I found out about the question he asked coach. So that, uh, to me, sealed it. He's my O player of the game. Uh, where are you going on defense? Um, oh, you know who I really I really enjoyed watching was Peters, the return of Peters. You know, he's kind of quiet a couple of games. 
and he was all over the field tonight. Uh, he had a great uh, touchdown defense uh, early in the game. Uh, he he had that great Matumbo block. Um, he flashed on on a couple of really nice plays. I thought I thought he played really well. I thought you know number three was all over the field tonight uh, after after a couple of quiet games. So that was great to see. Yeah, and he was going to be my guy as well, but I will switch it up just for just for interest's sake. And I'm going with Enoch Mwamba. I thought he had a really nice game. He was so excited to get in on blitzes because that's something that he and I have talked about a number of times since he signed with the Argos about how he loves getting in there. Like that's something that really interests him. But in the later stages of his career, he's been asked to do that a lot less. He's been kind of keeping keeping the box safe, you know, not letting anyone break through with runs. He's there to defend the drag routes and digs that we've talked about. And he's great at that, but it, it hurts sack numbers and things like that. It, it takes away from some of the exciting parts of football and seeing him it like, again, his face lighting up in the postgame press conference. Coach Mace was also there just cheering him on, yelling out his name because he was so excited to, to send heat today. They, they both were. <laughs> yeah. I mean, We've called. I mean, we have called for it. You know, and um, you know, don't be afraid to let Mister Jack Kassar have a few reps there too, Coach. Because <laughs> yeah. I think you'll be, it will pleasant, be needed at some pleasantly point. surprised at how good he is at blitzing. Um, it's and true. you know, shout out to Shaq too. Uh, nice game. Had the tip. Uh, twisted the quarterback on the pick. Really, really great. Great to have him back. Yeah, there's, there's a number of defensive guys that we can highlight, but yeah, Shaq for sure. But yeah, nice game from Enoch with eight tackles. Shaq had four tackles, but they were really big ones. He's got that tip pass to uh, Royce Mechie with a pick, Deshaun Amos with that with that big pick. Jonathan Jones with a couple of really nice plays as well because he had a, a the the sack, of course. Um, and he was, he was all over the field too. So a bunch of guys on defense that we could look to. And finally, your play of the game. What did it for you, JB? Uh, well, it's not not terribly um, original, but I, I I do think the play of the game uh, was when Ford uh, had the uh, the ball tipped and um, and Mechie picked it. I think it it well obviously set them up for the touchdown that brought them close. Also, I think it just gutted Edmonton. It was just one of those things when you're a team that loses and you're just waiting for that moment. So like Toronto fumbles the ball and you're like, this is it. It's going to be different. It's going to be different. Oh, it's it's not not different. different. (laughs) And I just think the emotional impact of that on both teams was amazing. And it brought us within two. And yeah, it's to me that that definitely, if if you don't get a pick there, I think it changes. Everything goes down, kicks a field goal. Um, you know, now they're up uh, 26-15. They probably win the game. And I'm going to go a little bit later. Again, defense, though, with 250 to go in the game. Edmonton up by two. And that's when Cornelius is sacked by Jones. That was such a huge play. It's a 13-yard loss. So the play that was starting on the Edmonton 40 ends up he ends up getting taken down by Jones with that heel click on the Edmonton 27. And that's a massive swing because that 13-yard loss is a basically a 13-yard gain on offense. It's 13 fewer yards you need to now cover. So Toronto ended up uh, getting to scrimmage from from their own 44 after, after that. And they were thinking at that point, field goal probably, and they didn't need to go that far. 
Well, that will just about do it for us on this post-game reaction episode of the X's and Argos podcast. It's back-to-back weeks against the Montreal Alouettes to decide <laughs> the East Division. We knew it would come down to this, JB. I'm excited about these, these two weeks of football, which hopefully for Toronto Argonauts fans is just one stressful week of football. Hopefully they can take care of business next week in Montreal. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see you.